It's July 26th, 2022. This is episode seven of the More Math for More People podcast. Cheers! Hello, everyone. I'm Misty. And I'm Joel. And this is the More Math for More People podcast brought to you by CPM Educational Program. On this podcast, we discuss the CPM curriculum, trends in math education, and share strategies to shift instructional practices to create a more inclusive and student-centered classroom. We also highlight upcoming CPM professional learning opportunities and have conversations with math educators about how they do what they do. And we always try to have a little bit of fun and laughter as well. Indeed we do. So come and find out what shenanigans we're up to on this episode. Boom. Okay, Joel, it's time for you to tell me what is the national day today? Today is National All or Nothing Day. National All or Nothing Day. That's right. Hmm. Do I get to choose? I want it all or I want nothing? What does this mean? Tell me what this oh, means. Oh, I guess that would be a choice, right? Mm-hmm. The idea behind this holiday is it's just a way to put your all into something. So it's either going to happen or it's not. So it's encouraging me to choose all for something. It's encouraging all. Maybe it's an adventure. Maybe it's reading a book. Maybe it's just doing something risky. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just uh, something you've been thinking about that just let's do it or don't. Gotcha. Check it off the list, I guess. So, yeah, it's uh, it's decide you're going to do it and do put your all into it, or maybe just decide that you're not going to do it. That's right. All right. So is how are you going to, so uh, go ahead. Well, is there anything you're thinking of? I'm just going to ask you, what are you, how are you going to celebrate this, Joel? <laughs> all or nothing day. What are you going to do as an all or nothing? There are some things that would be kind of all or nothing activities like a uh, skydiving or like a uh, <clears throat> cliff jumping or something like that. And mm. my guess is that nothing <laughs> is going to happen <laughs> about those things. <laughs> But I'd like to give my all on those things. Mm-hmm. Other ideas I have are, why don't I finally clean out the basement? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there you go. All or nothing on the basement. Or why don't I finally organize the garage? Let's just do it. It's Tuesday. Let's just <laughs> get it. like the there. day to do it because it's all or nothing day. That's right. I gotcha. I gotcha. <laughs> I, I did sort of go all or nothing on something Similar, I think a similar idea a few years ago uh-huh. when I just one day thought about what is the thing that I've always enjoyed and passionate about, you know, wished I had done kind of a thing that I haven't done yet, that I haven't tried, and that I possibly might be sad to have never tried at some point. Right. And I, it was singing. I decided that I wanted to be a singer. Okay. And so it kind of, I mean, I didn't really, I wouldn't say I went all in on it, but I definitely like decided that was a thing to do. And I started doing things to pursue that. So very cool. That's a, I think that's a similar kind of thing for sure. That is a very yeah. similar kind of thing. So you don't have to go do something life that. risky, like skydiving or cliff jumping or. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's definitely different little things you can do. Totally. Yeah. It's a day to maybe be inspired and think about what, what is a thing that you might want to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, go start to tackle it. And it says here also uh, that risks always involve uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so that maybe that feels a little exciting too, like that little mm. nervousness that there's uncertainty in taking that risk. I mean, it, it's uncertainty. It could be uncertainty for the positive or the negative, right? 
Mm -hmm. I wonder if this could uh, bleed into a teacher's life Mm -hmm. and inspiring students Mm -hmm. that every day is all or nothing day. (laughs) We're doing this. (laughs) All right. So it's a day to be inspired and think about where you might take a risk that pays off. I love it. Announcements, announcements. We have a big announcement. We are going to be doing a regional teacher conference in Detroit, Michigan in October. It is the Great Lakes Regional Teacher Conference. And right now it is open both for registrations and for proposals. The conference will be on October 8th and 9th a full day on the 8th, Saturday, and a half day on the 9th in the morning. It will be at Martin Luther King Jr. Senior High School, which is in downtown Detroit. We'll have probably somewhere between mm, probably 5 to 10, depends how many proposals we get, concurrent sessions going on. And Monica Marie Jones will be our keynote speaker for the regional conference. So if you'd like to send a proposal to speak at the Great Lakes Regional Conference, You can find a link in the details for this podcast, or you can send an email to cpmpodcast at cpm.org, and I will happily send you the link for the form to submit a proposal for the Great Lakes Regional Teacher Conference. And if you'd like to attend, I can send you that link as well. All of these things have been sent out to people on our CPM mailing lists in the Great Lakes area, in the Northeast region, and in some areas close to that. We haven't sent it out on a nationwide emailing. So if you want any of those things and you live further away than those places or you didn't get it, then please let us know and we will send that to you. You can check the details in the podcast description. You can send an email to us at cpmpodcast at cpm.org. You can always send an email to support at cpm.org and it'll get to the right place. So we'd love to see you there in Detroit in October. It will be lovely. End of announcements. All right, so now we're going to have part two of our conversation with Rachel Lambert. Uh, She's an assistant professor at University of California, Santa Barbara, and she's a former math and special education teacher. And so if you didn't hear part one, we strongly encourage you to go back to episode 2.6, the one just before this one, and listen to part one of our conversation with Rachel Lambert first. And then you can listen to part two here. So enjoy part two of our conversation with Rachel Lambert. When I'm doing work with teachers, I'll always be like, okay, everybody normal, like raise their hands. (laughs) And it's so weird, but no one has ever raised their hands. (laughs) That's so weird. (laughs) That's really So this so this idea with the ladder, I really I like this. It's related to one of the one of your blog posts that you talked about how kids are not Swiss cheese, <laughs> yes. right? And really referring to this idea of gaps and holes in math education. And can you talk some more about that? Um, that idea I came up with um, Andy Gale, who works at special education school in New York City, and we were just getting so frustrated with kids with disabilities being described as just as gaps. He has gaps in this. He has gaps in his number sense. He has gaps in this. 
almost like other kids. Oh, some things I ask teachers when we're talking about this. So who here, raise your hand, if you are a perfectly filled in trajectory of mathematics <laughs> and you know everything, you know, and they're all like, ah. Like learning is not a perfectly filled in linear line. Yeah. And because some kids do have things that they should probably get better at, that's okay. But we, if we think about them only in terms of gaps, we're really like just like conceptualizing them as a piece of Swiss cheese with a bunch of holes. And we're not looking at what they have. Like what's the connection that brings it together? What do they know across topics that can really leverage increased learning? Which is just whenever we think about kids from a deficit. I think sometimes people think, oh, you really don't want us to call. You want, don't want us to like have deficit thinking. And that's true because like also kids hear what we're saying and they understand why we're putting them in certain groups mm -hmm. and you're never tricking them because kids are smarter than adults. <laughs> so they're always going to try to make sense of whatever teachers do and whatever teachers say. That's a fact. And this, but the second thing is it's, it's not just that we conceptualize them as low or high or having a lot of gaps. It's what we do next. So if we think of them as low, we tend to think they don't have the kind of critical thinking skills to engage in real problem solving. So we give them rote memorization mm -hmm. and then we give the high kids some kind of engaging enrichment work. And what I learned as a teacher and what I've definitely learned in my research since then is that please do not take the kids who don't engage in boring math and give them more boring math. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Because they need the engaging problem solving because that's what's going to help them come alive. Mm -hmm. Those kids need it more than anybody else. Take the kids who you think of as your high flyers and give them a bunch of worksheets as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. But make sure to give those kids who you think maybe can't do it. Those kids need that more than anybody else. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you talk about that too in some of your blogs and things about just you talk to those students and what they described to you was that they felt like they had low expectations. They felt like they didn't have an opportunity to engage in meaningful math and that they felt really rushed to get through that process. And I thought that was really interesting. Well, yeah. Because not only do you have to memorize all your multiplication facts, you have to do it in the, what, you know, 60 seconds or something. You have to do it very quickly. That's the whole point, right? Which is not the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I interview a lot of kids and of course they're different. I have like interviewed kids who are like, just tell me how to do it. Please do not ask me to solve a problem. But of course, because I listen to them, I'm not trying to like pre-decide what they're going to say, but I do hear mostly how like low expectations and rote work is so disheartening and like it, it just makes you feel like, of course you can't do it because they're not asking you to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and at that age in particular, we, I think, you know, we tend to believe what adults think. Like that's mm -hmm. what we're doing, right? We're trying to figure out the world and we're like, oh, adults think this. Okay. Is that, that's how it is. You know, like we're really trying to figure it all out. And that's what we have as models. And that's what we're being told so that we internalize those things for sure. The other thing I, that kind of, I don't know, amuses me is not the word, maybe frustrates me is a better word about the Swiss cheese idea and being paying attention to the holes is that that's not the cheese. <laughs> like, the thing the about holes. Swiss cheese is not the holes, it's the cheese around the holes. <laughs> so if we really are trying to pay attention, if you really want to get the, you know, think about kids, you think about what is there, not what isn't. Right. That's good. Really added to the Swiss cheese <laughs> metaphor there. So what, what do you think is the most important thing that classroom math teachers should be doing differently than what they're doing right now? That's a really hard question. We gave you the hard question at the end. <laughs> and you have think time because we can edit it all out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess if I had to say what's the one practice 
that I would have people take up. And that would be probably to talk to their students. Mm. So like what I've learned is that it kids do have different things to say and kids have different ways of interpreting activities. So I'll do a lot. Of, I'll do work with kids. I'll do like I do studies where I interview kids multiple times and I'm like working with their teacher. We're trying to put a new practice into place. And sometimes, I mean, fairly often, they're not interpreting things the same way that we're interpreting them. And when we, like, when we listen to kids and watch and observe them closely, we can really figure things out about how to include them. This one teacher I did a research study with, she was just, she looked carefully at her kids. She, she watched even like tiny little hand gestures for certain of her kids, the ones she had to do more work to include. She paid really close attention. She talked to them. She got their feedback on things. And that's what created more access for those kids more than anything mm. else. It's not necessarily a list of things that I can give you. Sure. It's just assuming that they can do it, but assuming that it's a problem that you can solve with the kid. Mm-hmm. Not, not by like reading my blogs, but by like talking mm-hmm. with a kid. Yeah. yeah. So there's two things that come to mind as you're saying that one, I always loved, and I even still, when I go to classrooms, listening to the questions kids ask and not assuming I already know what they're confused about. Because I, a lot of times I hear teachers, like a kid will ask a question and the teacher's just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not how I heard what they asked. Like, I'm not even sure that that's what they were asked, talking about, but like, hey, well, okay, explain to me more. What are you saying? What do you mean? Right. And really getting them to talk about it. And they'll say something wrong, not just going, oh, this is why it's wrong and trying to correct it, but then asking them, well, why do you think it's that way? What's happening? And getting at what is really going on in their brains. And because yeah. they are making sense, what they're saying mm-hmm. makes sense to yeah. them. So how can I, how can I get at what is making sense, but maybe not quite in the way that I'm hoping they make sense? And I think that in, in my experience, sometimes neurodiversity comes with more unique solutions. And sometimes it comes with a more confusing way of explaining your thinking. And I think teacher, this scares teachers sometimes because a student will have a really complex idea and have difficulties because this is what some disabilities are. I had a student who had a speech and language difference. He had trouble explaining himself. He would have these amazing ideas and they would be felt like they would get stuck in his head. Mm-hmm. It took more time to get his ideas out. And I think when kids have struggle to express themselves and like, stop and start and then maybe it's one way and then it's another way or they're going to take a ton of time to talk Mm -hmm. teachers get nervous yeah they get anxious and they want to move past that and they sometimes i call it with teachers like it's like you're going down the rabbit hole i mean there's certain kids i would know if i call on them it's like alice in wonderland it's going to be deep yeah it's not going to be to one minute. It's going to be more than that. And and we're going to go into their strategy and it's going to take them a while to explain it. But there's always richness there. But it does take time. And we have to, we have to like understand that what neurodiversity really means is that we have to make everyone's way of communicating and engaging feel welcome in a classroom. Sure. The other, the other part of what I heard you saying is this idea that I don't just know what my kids need, right? I have to talk with them and know that. And which gets at something we talk a lot about here, which is shared authority, right? That hmm. they, it's not just that I'm teaching them the math, right? They have ideas, they have things. And how can we work to build the understanding together? That's really important. Mm-hmm. One of the things that people do a lot with kids with disabilities or kids in special education is assume they know what they need. Mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. Like, well, they need direct instruction. They need to be in a separate classroom. They need, every time I hear that word need, I'm like, 
just like my son always says, do you really need that, mom? I'm like, again, yeah, that word yeah. need is a very complex word that we should not just let people get away with using. <laughs> well, I wonder too how that plays into IEPs and things like that and how to shift. What is something that somebody needs versus how, how can they just be successful in mathematics? Do you have any ideas around that? Yes. For IEPs, I think there's multiple people thinking about this, but I would say the most important shift might be to move towards goals that sort of have a longer term investment. So a lot of times our goals, IEP goals are these very small kind of procedural nuggets of content, which are important, but I would focus on goals that are say connected to the standards of mathematical practice, because that kind of investment, I think will bring returns. If you work with a child to help them the S&P one, make sense of problems and persevere in problem solving. And that's your focus, say, as a special educator like myself, like coming into the classroom, having conferences with the student. This is what we're going to work on. We're going to work on your perseverance and your engagement. We're going to work on like what you're going to do when you're stuck. We're going to work. This is our goal. We're going to work on it together. That goal, I think, would <laughs> would return dividends in multiple areas of content. Mm. And it's because the time and energy of like special educators and IEPs are really are valuable. Like why not focus it on the goals that are what we really, really want? Right now, the goals are written by what's easiest to measure and what's easiest to figure out based on the assessments that are used. Where they're not assessing engagement and discussion. But I think that's what would reap more benefits. Yeah, that, it, that is one of the things about goals is how do you make goals that we can figure out if you've met it or not, but also has value because <laughs> the easiest yeah. things to measure are not usually, not always right. the things that are valuable. Not always. In education, not often. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say never, but. Yeah. But it's sometimes so, it is. It's it is. so satisfying sure. what it is actually, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, Rachel, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and coming on the podcast and. Yeah, thank you. Giving us so many good things to think about. That was a, that was a wealth of things. So we will definitely include a link to your website in the, the podcast description. And I am excited about the things you're doing. So please continue. <laughs> yeah. Yay. Thank you. I'm excited too. It's a pleasure and an honor to be asked to talk. Thank you, Rachel. One thing about this time of the year is as teachers, we have time to be thoughtful and reflective about our practice and we start to think about how are we going to start the year? And so we thought we would ask our professional learning team, some other CPM teachers, some of our writing team for some advice on how they've started the year off using CPM. And maybe this would be helpful and give you some ideas that you could take with you. So let's go ahead and listen to some of those ideas now. Hi, Jeremiah here from Egan, Minnesota, and I'm on the professional learning team at CPM. One piece of advice I have for you for the start of this school year is that when I received my class list for what we called our academic advisory class, sometimes referred to as a homeroom, I'd write a handwritten postcard introducing myself where I'd share some of the best parts of being in that small class. I shared that it was a place where we feel welcomed, where we can ask questions about any class or any situation. And you can also pick up easily forgotten materials like pencils, pens, or even notebooks. Then throughout the year, I started to extend the practice, which always remained handwritten, by the way. 
to writing a note to parents where I might say that because your student has completed seven assignments in a row, I've noticed an increase in asking questions within his team, and he's much more confident sharing his thinking with the rest of the class. This was a super easy way to share with both students and parents that they were coming into a safe environment where they could ask questions and they could just feel welcome. So I hope you'll try this out. Hi, this is Leah Gaines from Ohio. I am a curriculum writer at CPM. I taught CPM at the middle school level. And I always started the year very first day with some kind of fun team building activity. It's a long day for kids. It's a long day for you. It makes it a lot easier to build relationships with the students and have them build relationships with Mm. each other when you do something fun, like a team building activity on the first day. They don't want to hear about your syllabus. They're not going to remember what you say anyway. You're tired. Summer just ended. Do something fun. Get to know your students. That's it. Hello, my name is Nicole Gorgas, and I live in Victoria, Minnesota. I am on the professional learning faculty with CPM. And when the question came up about must-dos to start the school year, CRT in the brain came up when Saretta Hammond talks about trust generators and building trust with your students, because really it, it gets them ready to learn if they can trust you, if they're feeling safe. Um, and there's lots of ways to do that. One that kind of gets overlooked sometimes is just finding time to listen to your students. And it's whether you have time to carve out for conferencing with students, but finding ways for them to just be able to talk to you, whether it's a door question, you meet them at the door and ask them a question. But another one that I hadn't really thought of too much until CRT and the brain, the book, was sharing a vulnerable story. So please consider thinking of some vulnerable story that you could share with your students. So that's a wrap for this episode of the More Math for More People podcast. For more information and to stay connected, you can find CPM on both Twitter and Facebook. The music for the podcast was created by Julius H. and can be found on pixabay.com. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel? It'll be National Book Lovers Day, and I am a huge book lover. I have so many books. I love to read books. I like to give books away. I always like to support a local bookstore. One of my favorite memories of a book is that I went to this used bookstore here in Salt Lake City, and I remember going down in the basement where they kind of had the best old books, used books, and I just I really wanted to find the oldest book I could find, and I wanted to buy that book. And so I found this book called and the Rasp was kind of this whodunit mystery novel where this Colonel Anthony Gerthrin like, solves the crime and gave him clues inside. I just remember how cool it was.